I looked up Hoyt Axton and was stunned to find out that he played the father in Gremlins. So that's when that link came together for me. You had to pull start your computer and jump on top. <laughs> <laughs> Child's an idiot, the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they were any good to begin with. My name's DJ. Hi, I'm Damon. My name's Damon. Deliberate pronunciation is the name of the game. We're going to talk about uh, <laughs> holiday stuff. It's holiday We're going to talk about holiday. It's holiday one. It's time to change the store around. We're going to need all hands on deck. Yeah, We've hired some seasonal employees. I need you to work late on Sunday so we can get the wreaths up in the, the storefront. Everything smells like fucking cinnamon in a way that's like... <sighs> Not delicious, more cloying. Weird things like brooms and pine cones. I'm like, I don't want a broom that smells like cinnamon. The reason for the season, as we all know, (laughs) is Uh a satire of consumerism and potentially marketing to children that became a movie that I saw too early and got scared from. I think this is on my list too. Go on. It involves one adorable creature and many a little bit less adorable creatures elf and it stars will ferrell it's called elf (laughs) now do you know what we're talking about do i yes we're talking about gremlins directed by joe dante (laughs) now some fine folks some longtime listeners are going to say you've covered gremlins i remember (laughs) it's a classic Mm -hmm. episode and i'm going to say our archivists will object to us doing it you're absolutely wrong. We've covered Gremlins 2, and the reason... Colon, the new batch. Which we were re- we covered first for three reasons. Mm. One... The German three. One, we have no idea what we're doing, and fuck you. Two, <laughs> it's famously farcical. And mm-hmm. three, it was playing at our local independent movie theater at the time, and we wanted to go see it and use it for an episode. But we have not... Watched for this podcast, the OG Gremlins, nineteen eighty something seven. I want to say I should have done a little research on that, but I didn't. All you did was look up the title. <laughs> if you even did that, <laughs> eighty four, you fool. Nineteen eighty four. I was gonna say that was my next guess after three years later than that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell You're me, just your throwing memories. darts at the eighties. Tell your memories, Gremlins. I might have already told this story when we watched Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Don't look into it, because this story is just as good the second time around. I caught Gremlins 2, The New Batch on HBO as a kid, and as you mentioned, it is much more farcical and loony toony in nature. Mm-hmm. There's a man in a Dracula costume. There's a Trump surrogate. There's a spider gremlin, a gremlin voiced by the late Tony Randall. All fun and games. Bugs Bunny and so I'm like Daffy these Duck gremlins. The Daffy Duck in the credits. Yes, Bugs Bunny and Daffy okay. Duck in the credits. Literally Looney Tooney, while also being figuratively Looney Tooney. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I was like, these gremlins are my jam. <laughs> and I went to our local video establishment with my father, and I said, Dad, they have the original gremlins. I would like to watch this because I've enjoyed Gremlins 2 colon the new batch so much. And he's like, I don't know about that. And this wee faggot just kept saying he wanted to watch Gremlins. And eventually, Harry Xanthopoulos succumbed (laughs) to my requests. Like, whatever. (laughs) 
Yeah. Go ahead. Get you the shit scared out of you by these gremlins. And I watched it, was absolutely terrified. I believe the turning point, while I was scared throughout, the turning point is when they send the woman through the window, which as an adult now, I find the best part because she's like the Mr. Potter of the town in Gremlins. And so her death is funny to me. But yeah, I watched it too young. I should have listened to my father, but I didn't. Listen and to your father. <laughs> that's my little gremlin story. I, How about yourself, DJ? I similar experience. I don't remember the circumstances leading to me watching it, but it was somewhere at home and it was way earlier. I think maybe my sister was watching it or my parents. I don't know. Someone was watching it and I sat down, plopped down and watched it and no one stopped me. No one physically restrained you and shot you back to your room. This might be one of the reasons I'm still like not into spooky movies because it scared the shit out of me, especially like the beginning scene. There's there's a guy who like reaches in his hand and then Grimman like scratches his hand and then ends up killing him. Like there's a lot more stakes in this movie, Mm -hmm. if I recall correctly, because like people are being at least maimed, if not murdered by the gremlins. Yeah, in the in the other movie, they just seemed annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the implication is people are being maimed. But I mean, even in a deleted scene, damage. Microwave with Marge is just cooking for the gremlins yeah. later on in Gremlins 2. So it, yeah, you're absolutely right. I remember there's a guy who reaches into a mailbox and he like gets pulled in. And I remember thinking that literally every time I would go buy a, a mailbox as a ute. That's what happened to the USPS. It wasn't the Trump administration. It was gremlins in all the boxes. (laughs) Let's talk about Gizmo for a second. Voiced by Howie Mandel. Voiced by Howie Mandel. And as a drawer of adorable little creatures yourself, (laughs) what do you think of the character (laughs) design on Gizmo? I like him better in Gremlins 2. Here he's a little bit rougher around the edges, but still pretty cute. But again, because I came to this through the subsequent entries in the film universe of the Gremlins, I was more attached to that one. But he is cute. He's very adorable. The Gremlins are all just very generic in this. Another thing I missed, I don't mean like none of them are voiced by Tony Randall, but I also mean (laughs) that also a con in Gremlins 1's (laughs) column. But they all just sort of look the same. Aside from the leader, the one with the mohawk, they all kind of look the same. Whereas even in Gremlins 2, before they get super wacky, there's brown ones and green ones and and The cross-eyed one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much Stripe. And that's how you can tell he's the leader because he's got the Stripe. And that's how you know he's the final boss of the movie. Right. Yeah, the gizmo, the, the... puppetry improves if i recall so so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah which is also part of why i think they're creepier in this i mean i think they this movie i'm interested to see how it holds up because i don't know how high quality it's going to be but i do think it toes that line of like intentionally being a little bit silly but also it is trying to be creepy it's not like they accidentally made these puppets that terrified children <laughs> i also want to say just to speak to my personal experience i did also later claim that I loved this movie, even though it scared me because it was cool to like things. I remember being at my friend, I remember his name was Andy. I can't remember her last name. And friend Andy's house. I also remember the song You Give Love a Bad Name by John Bon Jovi playing, or by Bon Jovi, lead singer John Bon Jovi. <laughs> Gotta give credit to the rest of the guys. <laughs> they pulled their weight. They pulled their weight. <laughs> yeah, so it was that time where Playing in his basement. That's what the song was playing in his basement. Yeah, yeah, when that you song was, lied to your friends. Yeah, when you I'm built like, a, a f- fake personality for your friends. We're going to all watch Gremlins. And I'm like, of course we are. And yes, I would love to because I've seen. Oh, but is anyone else real? 
getting real sleepy, you know? Not only have I seen and enjoyed that movie, (laughs) I was not at all scared of it. I won't end up peeing the little sleeping bag. No, I didn't. I didn't that I remember. Oh, little DJ. (laughs) What was I going to say? Oh, I imagine that the conversation was like, what's everyone's favorite Christmas movie? And some people were saying White Christmas. Some people were saying It's a Wonderful Life. And you were like, oh, no, no, no. You know what my favorite Christmas movie is? And they're like, wow, he must have a really interesting personality because he seems to be very confident about what he's about to say. And then you say, Gremlins, put your cigarette out on your friend, ruin his Bon Jovi tape, I imagine at the time. And then you just get in your sleeping bag and then pee yourself. They're, they're like, I bet in the future he's going to say Die Hard, but that movie's not out yet. So <laughs> he's got to say something else that makes him feel So weird. he's got to say some other left of center Christmas movie to make us all think he's a fucking badass. <laughs> so we're going to watch Gremlins, the OG Gremlins. Watch along with us. We'll be back after this. The point is... I'm tired of people going to patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot yeah, and signing up at different levels at wherever their comfort is. I'm tired of them having so many choices in capitalism, in this consumer culture. Mm-hmm. I'm Too tired of them being able to support like a creative endeavor of a few boon companions who just want to make a podcast. You'd rather the government took care of all podcasts for us. I think all podcasts should be subsidized. Mm-hmm. Okay, actually, you're selling me now. I might be a specific audience to this request, but go (laughs) ahead. Pretty sure they are in Canada, so why not here, you know? Mm, That's nice. So, And the Kids in the Hall host all the podcasts in Canada, which is nice. They share duties with the Maple Leafs. They go on and off. Every other podcast is either a kid in the hall or a Maple Leaf. Each one, and I mean literal Maple Leafs, not the hockey team. Not the hockey team. Speaking of pluralization, let's pick a lane. Are we the leaves or are we the leaves? That's ridiculous. Same thing with dwarfs and dwarves. Come on, Tolkien, pick one. So whatever you do, don't go to patreon.com slash your channel is an idiot. Don't sign up at whatever level you want. This is called an anti They're never going to do it. Oh, slipping the old fast one past them. Don't become a patron like our friend Jonathan Day left us a message about Blues Brothers being a Chicagoan. Don't text us, 615-576-0525. Don't tell us what you think. Don't send us an email at yourinnerchildisanity at gmail.com. Don't do any of it. We are back and we have learned the Mogwai song perfect. Yes, it is a beautiful, beautiful song that I would definitely want to hear in the dead of night in my house or in my Chinatown-based antiquities shop. (laughs) Whenever Gizmo feels the need. You know he's fucking nocturnal. You know that's a given with these damn things. So in the middle of the night, you're just hearing someone in the back of their goddamn mogwai throat going... You know what I appreciate? I think the best composers like Jerry Goldsmith... Of course. They take from nature. You know, they borrow from, and so he heard the beautiful Mogwai song. He's like, you know what? That's going to be the Kate and Billy theme. That's going to be the love theme, the antithesis of- Because Gizmo is their third. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, they're in a thruple. They're Uh, in a polycule with a tiny little being. You may say, you may have some judgment towards that, but I want to remind you that Gizmo is 
probably like 132 years old. So yeah, that's the vibe I got. Is that the vibe you got? I don't think that's based on anything, but in my head, I'm like, he must be like a hundred years old. He's the only Mogwai. He's the reason that Mogwais exist. Yeah. I don't have no, there's no evidence either way in the film other than I think the beginning scene does take place in 1951. So, Oh my God. The, <laughs> the minute that opening scene started, me and Tyler just started laughing. But I think before we get into that, Deej, yeah. Before you shirk your duties, I believe the only noun you can, in fact, shirk. <laughs> I need you to recap this film yes. for us. <laughs> yeah, go, go on. <laughs> you did the little hand like you're filming something, like you're fucking John Ford over here trying to figure out where you're putting stuff. Yeah, go ahead, Roger Deakins. Let's hear it. I'm full Joe Dante. <laughs> What's the guy's name? I've already ruined it. What's Billy's last name? What is his dad? Peltzer. Okay, Peltzer. Rand Peltzer. Yeah. Hoyt. Played by Hoyt Axton, singer-songwriter Hoyt Axton. We'll get into that. And I, Hold on. My, I'm oh, recapping. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Peltzer. Peltzer. P-A-L-T-Z-E-R. Mr. Peltzer goes to, he's on a business trip. He stops by an antiquity shop in Chinatown. It's a mysterious shop full of knickknacks, but then he finds a mogwai in the corner, makes a deal with the grandson of the proprietor, takes the mogwai home with him. There's three rules. Oh my God, these rules. You, want to take yeah. you cannot get them wet. They don't like bright light. It'll kill them. Sunlight, Sunlight will kill them. Sunlight will kill them. They don't like bright light. Important for act three, yeah. And they cannot eat after midnight. Pretty easy. Are they though? That's super easy. Shouldn't be a problem. He takes it do home they, to his son. How do they drink? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Billy loves it. It's a loving pet until about 30 years later when it passes in its sleep. It's a lovely relationship. <laughs> well, of course, Billy gets it wet. It sprouts. Day one, from what sprouts, I could say. Uh, it's really Corey Feldman that gets it wet, but then it sprouts other mogwai. <laughs> he accidentally feeds them after midnight because they cut the power to his alarm clock, so he didn't realize it was after midnight. Feeds them, they become gremlins. So all of the other mogwai, except for Gizmo, the original, become gremlins. They begin terrorizing the town. They're led by the leader, Gremlin Stripe. They terrorize the town for, I want to say, the better part of a day. And yeah, it's a good evening of terror. Yeah, they commit some mild murders and some, <laughs> a lot of hijinks. <laughs> the idea, no, judge, judge. It was a mild murder. He was scratched to death. Yeah. I'd rather be shot. I don't want to be yeah, scratched to death. Yeah, they don't fuck around. I mean, they do fuck around a lot. No, oh, they fuck around. And one might even argue they found out. They did. They murder. They they do a lot of property damage. But ultimately, <laughs> and that's the real crime here. Go ahead. Ultimately, Billy, his paramour, Kate, and the Mogwai Gizmo uh, save the day. Kill Stripe when he's they expose him to sunlight when he's bubbling up with a new batch. Not to be confused with the new batch of gremlins. And Stripe is defeated. Therefore, all danger is gone because mainly because the proprietor of the Chinatown antiquity shop takes Gizmo away from this family. And while that is very sad because Gizmo is cute, it's the right move. Mm -hmm. I do not to get too far ahead, but I just because you said that I was reminded one day in my life, I would like to have $200 in my sweaty palm and just throw Sorry. it onto a couch and then take my belongings back when uh, Hoyt Axton, um, <laughs> you know, surreptitiously purchased them from my wayward grandson. <laughs> yeah, that's the gist of it. 
You yeah, know? I'd be, I mean, you were you were more thorough than I typically am, but yet more somehow concise <laughs> than I typically am. I don't know how I am both <laughs> unthorough and meandering. It just doesn't. It goes with our personalities. Look, you know how people say you're both better and worse than me. And I think that's that's true of your recaps as well. Who's ever? I've never heard anyone say. Someone said you're both someone, better and worse than me. Someone just said Damon is both better and worse than you, DJ. And I was like, wow. And then I thought about it. And I was like, you're right. I don't, Wise I don't know. <laughs> oh, sage mage who has wandered into my purview and just started spouting things. You know what? Fine. Yeah, you're both better and worse. Yeah, sure. The voiceover that this story begins, like what? We're like. All of a sudden, watch it. Okay, let's talk about Hoyt for a second. Hoyt. Hoyt Axton, which Axton. sounds like, are you in the worst witness protection program I've ever heard of? Well, I only knew him from this movie, and I only today learned that he was a prolific and successful songwriter. He wrote Joy to the World, as made famous by Three Dog Night. Oh, well, I was like, Joy to the World? From like the 1600s, Joy to the World? No, no Joy to the World. He also wrote The Pusher. Made famous by Steppenwolf. Goddamn okay. the pusher. How does that man. go? I know the pusher. Goddamn the pusher man. I can't think of. I think there's like it's like talk singing if I remember correctly. Oh, like David Tomlinson and Mary Poppins. Okay, go He's ahead. Like a, like a folky guy, so that kind of makes sense. He had other. I didn't recognize any of the other hits, but those were the, the. I know one more hit that you may recognize from the movie Mitchell, covered well <laughs> by Mystery Science Theater three thousand. The titular song. Mitchell is written by Hoyt Axton. Wow. And I remember seeing that name on the uh, credits because they stuck around for the credits because the song was so ridiculous that I saw that name. I was like, that's a weird name. And early in my internet days, I looked up Hoyt Axton and was stunned to find out that he played the father in Gremlins. So that's when that link came together for me. You had to pull start your computer and jump on top of <laughs> It was the size of a room, and it was only owned by the king of Persia. And I had to go in there and type in Hoyt <laughs> Axton. There was a room of 15 women who connected me to the <laughs> One was Lily Tomlin. Very funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it begins with, like, the whole situation is very, it's like a P.I. movie. Like, it's very weird. He, he only narrates the very first scene and then the very end scene. Yes. Always confuses me. It's jarring. Yeah, because it's like, I think narration can be used effectively. I think it has been used poorly in many movies. It's kind of a crutch, but it's also like kind of evokes a certain type of movie potentially. Mm -hmm. And this movie is, I think, very much trying to evoke those type of movies. Well, but the kind of movie that it was seemed like it was trying to evoke at the beginning is not the kind of movie. Because it is like this is mixing comedy and horror and a lot of different tropes, but like no black and white P.I. movies that I understand. And that's what yeah, so I did at the beginning. Let's describe the scene. So we don't see Hoyt Axton at first. Yeah. We see a misty, very orientalist Chinatown view. We, I mean, to the point where there is a sailor in like full sailor uniform taking a, a woman of the night into an alley. And I'm like, what movie is this? It's very kind of weird. It's a little bit like Gotham City. Yes. There's like a car that's crashed into a pole and people are just standing around pointing at it. Chinatown's scary. It's very weird. And I mean, it felt like it was deliberate because it was so ridiculous, but it's still, I was still for a minute thinking, 
There's not another movie named Gremlins that I accidentally put on, right? <laughs> I was finishing, yeah. I was plating dinner when Tyler put it on, so I wasn't able to confirm that he got the correct Gremlins. <laughs> it's the origin story. It's the zero batch. <laughs> Do you know that there is an origin story Gremlins animated movie with Bowen Yang doing some voices? It's a series on HBO Max, and we Jesus will be Christ. watching that. Ah, you tricked me into it. You led me into this. I learned about it today, and I said, you know what? We've covered the other two pieces of Gremlins media. <laughs> Might as well just do the whole roundup. Yeah, that's interesting. The fact that I haven't heard about it at all. That's a good sign. For some reason, a lot of nostalgia pieces are pushed at me through everything. <laughs> I have more hair of this, so I don't know if that's good or bad. It could be either. Can we keep talking about the retro appeal of this movie? Because it feels very deliberate. Yeah. Chuck Jones, famous animator who in you worked for Warner Brothers, he invented Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons. He was the one who had the list of the rules of the Roadrunner cartoons. He makes appearance as a barfly named Chuck, or actually Mr. Jones, I believe in the, in the in the scene. Billy is a prolific like he's like a up and coming cartoonist or comic book artist as we see him drawing and painting throughout the movie. But also the Futtermans are both in the original Little Shop of Horrors. Dick Miller, who plays Mr. Futterman, it was like in Roger Corman's troupe of character actor players. And his wife was in a few more movies, but was also in that realm of like a character actress in the in the 50s and 60s. There's also a lot of like, I, I forgot to look up the movie that Gizmo like got into but there's this Clark Gable racing movie that he and Billy watch at one point that then inspires him. Much like he's inspired by Rambo in the second movie, yeah. he's inspired by this to like drive the little Barbie car in the final scene. It felt very much like, I think Roger Corman is probably the best gateway, like this sort of mix of like campy horror and comedy that everyone can enjoy, I guess. It feels like where Joe Dante is... And I think Joe Dante is actually a Roger Corman acolyte. I think he like learned under Roger Corman, if I'm remembering correctly. That would make sense. I do feel like this this movie is, I don't think it's got this incredibly deep point of view, but it is kind of parodying a lot of things in a pretty fun way. It's leaning into horror in a way that the second movie shies away from, but it's still very campy, very silly. I think because it is a little scarier than the first one and it yeah. scared the shit, as we discussed, yeah. scared the shit out of me. I kind of forget that it does, in a way I'd like to talk about, but it does get like very silly near the end of it. But he's in that shop and it is very, it's leaning into and also parodying the like the mysterious other, like the, like you said, Orientalist, the sort yeah. of, ooh, secrets of the East. And it's very, like I would call it problematic and I think that it, is in some mm -hmm. way, but it's also making fun of something, but also participating in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I always forget about the, <laughs> the origins of the Mogwai and that first scene because it is so like just sandwiched around the movie and doesn't yeah. really affect the rest of it. But I'm always, I don't know. I'm not super uncomfortable with it, but I'm also a white guy. Right. But there is a little bit of like, ah, oh, wow, there's this, the mystique of Asian cultures and, you know, this sort of the magic of Eastern spirituality. There's this sort of like vagary. I don't think it's coming from a bad necessarily place, but it is a little icky, I feel like. Yeah. Well, and at the end, we get the shop owner comes back and he's like, your whole society does this with everything. You ruin technology because you don't respect it. 
and you ruin. And that also plays into that Eastern mysticism of like, want to hear, one need only but to listen. Yeah. Like, all right, that's. <laughs> I got it. Yep, yep. I got it. It's not just a Far East thing. It's like people do that all the time with uh, Native Americans or have some sort of mystical powers or like extra respect. And it's like, that's also othering and gross (laughs) in like a different way because it's right. You're like, you're acting like you're vaunting that you're like putting them up on a pedestal, but you're also sort of not respecting the fact that they are still just human beings, you know, trying to, there are differences to respect and and culture. And also, I don't want to give this movie like a full pass for it, but it's also like, it is attempting to make humor of it at the same time. And the whole thing with the rules, obviously it's Gremlins gets made fun of by Gremlins 2 and by other movies of like, wait, if you think about it for like five seconds, that doesn't make any sense. Like when midnight where and how will they survive without water? Like, do and, they not drink any water? Where do they get any? Yeah. And, and also like I, these chicken legs do technically have water in them. What if it's really humid that day? What if I live in Seattle? What happens in any, like no Mogwai has ever gotten wet before? But it feels like they're taking from like fairy tales, right? Like these, there's these sure. rules. And of course, like gremlins themselves come from, and that's why it was like kind of interesting, Mr. Futterman being like portrayed as, you know, he's a World War II vet and he was talking about how like, people got, their planes got taken down by gremlins on the wing and mm-hmm. stuff, which is kind of where that whole story comes from. So it is like playing into that. And I think the rules are, they're great, right? Like you're, you're still remember them, right? It's, it's great. Yeah. They, they instantly out. like click into your brain. I, I mean, as ridiculous and unmanageable as they would be in real life and or even in the this movie, movie yeah. they do work and that you remember them instantaneously. I do love that not 76 hours after having these gremlins, he's broken all three rules and the town will be torn asunder. And it's, yeah, being destroyed. People are murdered, but mostly bad people. Convenient in a Spielberg movie. I always find that only the bad people get injured. Phoebe Cates is fine as long as she just keeps serving them beer. (laughs) And the teacher, all he did was take blood from this this creature he hadn't seen. He didn't really do anything. Yeah, but he liked it too much. You saw his face. Mr. Hansen was into it. I forgot that they, I guess those are the only two murders we see, right? Like. Mrs. Deagle gets. Yeah, that's the other one I meant. Shot out of she's, a she's window. She's shot out. I didn't actually connect that that was her until the police officer said that it was her. I think that's the, the only two murders we confirm. Yeah, because even I think I was really sad, and I remember that the Futtermans are, of course, in the second one. Yeah, it is implied in their scene that they both die. Yeah, but later at the end of the movie, when they're watching the news report, if you strain to hear, you can hear the news reporter say, "Local resident Murray Futterman had this to say," and so it's obvious that at least Murray in this first movie has survived. I knew that they survived because they were in the second movie. I just assumed that they just retconned it. Right. They didn't say like they're dead. It's heavily implied. I mean, that scene feels like a death scene. But yeah, the news report says something like that. What do you think about Mr. Futterman's proclivity towards hating on foreigners and uh, foreign things? Make Kingston Falls great again, I always say. (laughs) I feel like I I wasn't bothered by this because I feel like the movie is making fun of him. His paranoia about foreign parts is just sort of like, okay, shut up, old man. At one point, he's messing with the TV because the gremlins are on the roof with the antenna and then it lands on like a French channel and he just goes, foreigners. <laughs> I mean, it's also something I, I remember, especially in the 80s and 90s, hearing my family say, 
talking about buying in America and oh, these foreign companies. And I mean, it's one of those positions that I can see the point of view and it can quickly tilt into like xenophobia and just racism. Right. But I can also understand this idea of like you being a factory worker or a farmer and being like, hi, I can also grow grains for you if you'd like. I can also put together your cars. I can understand that. And I think it also is a, what am I, a fucking economist? I was about to start talking about, you know, competition from other countries that they started to grow their own. What the fuck so do grain I know? Don't come here for this. <laughs> the thing about taxes, tariffs I didn't, is what I meant to say. I guess it's common knowledge, but I didn't realize this was that Spielberg was involved in this. He was a producer on this and kind of like helped make this happen, like championed it more than just like put my name on it and it'll help sell. He, he actually was like, because it's a Chris Columbus script. One of your favorite. And surprisingly, I don't know if I said this in the intro, his original script was like darker than this was. They had to lighten it up, which is, if you know anything about the career of Chris Columbus, is like, what? Uh, The dog gets killed in the original script, I believe. And I believe the mom also dies. She gets beheaded or something. And then they, at some point, they attack a McDonald's and they're they're eating people instead of hamburgers or something like that. It's uh... (laughs) Now that's comedy. I do want to say, just because I I just mentioned her, I was kind of pleasantly surprised by the women in this movie. The mom and Phoebe Cates both acquit themselves well. They're not like damsels in distress or anything. It feels, I don't want to give the movie too much credit, but like it it feels like, oh, wow, the mom really holds her own again. She kills three gremlins in the first scene where we see gremlins in action. She's just like yeah. microwaving them and shooting flea and tick spray at them and, and putting them in the Peltzer uh, juicer peeler. Oh, it's very gross, but she she holds her own. I was just going to say Phoebe Cates also never feels like a damsel in distress. She feels very smart and resourceful and not just with the gremlins, but even in the scene, the awkward scenes with Judge Reinhold, it's very obvious that she knows exactly what she wants, which is Billy. And she's just waiting for him to get up the gumption to ask her out. It's not like this love triangle where she's just, you know, torn between these two guys. She knows that Judge Reinhold fucking sucks. She doesn't need she doesn't need like X-ray vision to figure that out. So I like that in this movie. The scene with the mom. So she there's been something crazy going on, right? Because they are the pods, the like after they become gremlins, they turn into these big pods like they have these cocoons. Visceral pods. It's very visceral, very gross. Artichoke. Yeah. And then she comes into the kitchen and there's they're in there. And that's when she kills them, like you said. But at that point, we as the audience know that they're dangerous because we've seen them kill the teacher. But all she knows is there's these <laughs> offspring of her child's pet and they're in her kitchen and they are causing property damage, but she murders them. And I felt like... <laughs> It's obviously forgivable because of the kind of movie it is. And we know that gremlins are very dangerous. But also, I'm like, you know, using the logic of the moment, I don't know if <laughs> dabbing them immediately. You is want the her first to go reaction. to jail. I just, I'm saying that was a, she was quick to blend. <laughs> she was quick to, wow. I, you know what? I, when I put you on the mailing list for PETA, I just didn't know it would go this far, you know, that you would start defending gremlins and be concerned about gremlins in films. You're right. It is one of those logical leaps that you that you have to just go along with the movie. I didn't even yeah. put it together until you said it, but it is. I mean, they are frightening. They're throwing plates at her head. Forty years hence, I'm boycotting this movie. That's what. <laughs> no more of my money. Will you get Gremlins 1984? 
Yeah. And I also like the mom, how she reacts with the dad, because his inventions all fucking suck. (laughs) And it's clear that like, he's not able to do much with them. He does have kind of a sense of humor about it, like with the coffee. And he's like, what's wrong with this? It's pretty funny. (laughs) That was actually a very charming, like small window into their relationship where he recognizes that it sucks. And they like have like this genuine laughter moment. And it was really sweet. Yeah, it comes up when both Billy and his dad come home, they knock like the sword off the wall, which is like not an invention. I don't know. It's just like he's a bad handyman. I'm just like, this weird, this weird. Well, also, like who has swords on their wall aside from geeks who had even gone too far for me to <laughs> hang out with them? Oh, it's the blade of Isildur. Right, right. Of course. What is it called? Flame of the West. Oh, oh no. I set you up. But- Anduril, of course. My apologies to the Tolkien community. Second mention of Tolkien in this. I like that, you know, every time they come in, the sword falls off the wall and we see it with Billy. And then when Hoyt Axton comes home, we don't see the sword fall, but we see him re-putting mere minutes after putting it up. But yeah, apparently he's also bad at hanging nails, which is one of the few things I can do. Like you can invent a, <laughs> a card shuffler, but you can't like put a nail in a in a prime spot to hold a sword. But I also like that she's patient with that whole thing. She encourages Billy to be patient with the inventions and she like cuz he's like this sucks and she's like she's like use the use the sink. But okay. she also understands. It sounds like Billy is supporting his family, at least that's what Judge Reinhold's character says. That sweet job at the bank. His bank job is sweet bank. Actually, a credit union, credit union get very angry if you mistake yes, the bank. Can we talk about Phoebe Cates while we're here? I mean, I want to talk about Zach Galligan. So yeah, we can talk about. I also, um, I mean, not for Phoebe, but yeah, for Zach Galligan. Yeah. Go ahead, you talk about Phoebe. This is my introduction to Phoebe Cates as a kid. I didn't, I didn't even see Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I know I've seen that the infamous scene now by now. Mm-hmm. But I have I don't even think I've seen that full movie, which we should probably cover it. You've only point. watched the video for Stacy's mom. That's the that's that parody. Yes. That movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I I think I knew about it before that. But to me, like she is like kind of like a wholesome 80s presence, whereas like she was kind of before this, people thought of him as her as because she was in, you know, this oh, she's in raunchy movies or whatever, but which is pretty tame by today's standards still. But she's a dreamboat. I'm just saying I like her character in this because she's. As you mentioned, she has some agency. She's brave with the gremlins and she she's like serving them in the bar to keep from getting scratched and bitten and killed. And then also she tells the story, the awful story later of, oh, my God. So they make fun of this in the second gremlin. So I, I know we looked it up, I think. But so the story is and this is an awful story is that when she's a little kid, her dad tries to surprise her and her mom as, as Santa Claus gets stuck. He like dies getting stuck in the chimney. Gets stuck in the chimney. Yeah. Dressed as Santa. <laughs> she tells he died this, instantly. She tells this awful story. And, you know, of course, the audience, you're just kind of like, oh, my God. And then you look to, at Gizmo's face. And he goes. <laughs> mouth agape. I really, I really enjoyed it. I do like this story in and of itself, but in terms of where it like lands in the movie, it is this sort of awkward beat. It felt like they had this in their back pocket. And then they realized the only scene left is where we burn the gremlins to the ground. So if we're going to do this, we got to do this now. And it felt like sort of shoehorned into this weird scene where they sort of realized the gremlins have busted up the credit union. And she's like, oh, well, let me tell you finally why I hate Christmas. My dad died in our chimney, broke his neck and stunk up the whole house with his festering corpse. 
And then she says, and that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. As if that's the worst part <laughs> of the story. Right. I appreciate it just for its macabre nature, but I wish it had been like sort of finessed a little less clumsily. Or maybe the clumsy nature of it is the point. Damon, you ignorant asshole. I disagree <laughs> with you more. I think again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend like this is super well thought out in all these choices, <laughs> but I think its position is perfect because it comes out of nowhere and it goes yeah. nowhere. It gives you like a little bit of depth. <laughs> Of her character, but mostly it's just, it's a horrible laugh line in a movie that's like leaning into that, right? Like they're, right. the gremlins are launching Mrs. Deagle through the air on an assisted chairlift. She dies. That's awful, right? But it's also kind of funny, right? Like it's kind of the, the same movie thing. did a, just spend a lot of time setting up Miss Deagle for a fall, as it were. Yes. Both metaphorical and quite literal. And I appreciated that moment. I think as a kid, though, I don't know if I've, okay, this is my own personal, and I'm being honest with you just because we're close friends. Yeah. Um, and I trust, I trust our audience. Enough. I suffer from a condition, I suffer from a condition known as wig blindness. <laughs> and you didn't recognize that was her? Something I, don't, I didn't either. I didn't either. As a kid, I did not recognize that that was yeah. Mrs. Deagle because now she didn't have this wig. That was obviously a wig. I mean, it's this bright, she's an older woman, there's this bright red wig, like fucking Lucille Ball. I did not recognize her as a kid. I also had trouble as a child recognizing that Maria Von Trapp from The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins were the same woman. <laughs> it's a serious condition and it affects dozens of us. Are you serious? Wig blindness. Yeah. And that's why RuPaul's Drag Race just goes over my head a lot. I'm just like, who is this man? Why do I care what he's doing? And where'd that woman from the end of the last episode go? She had his same facial structure. That's why I've never seen Dolly Parton. People just keep saying her name. I have no <laughs> idea who they're talking. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I have a disability cloak or something. <laughs> that's not what I mean. I just mean when they take off the wig or put on a different wig. I'm like, huh? I don't know. I was really banking on that hair color <laughs> to figure out who you were. Yeah, but I had trouble as a kid recognizing that, that was Mrs. Deagle. So it just seemed like they were terrorizing this woman who was sweetly cooing at her cats. Yeah. But now as an older man, I recognize because they keep saying Mrs. Deagle, Mrs. Deagle. And she has all these real estate signs around her house and she's terrible. And she's played by Holly Holiday. That's the same one. I love Mrs. Deagle in this. I would have, if I was Polly Holiday, I would have been over the moon to play this character. She's a perfect mix of Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life, Ebenezer Scrooge, and Mrs. Gulch from The Wizard of Oz. Like she wants to kill that dog. Yes, and threatens to many times. And then and kill it slowly, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, and what's what she says, she's gonna put it in the dryer until it dehydrates or something. And the and the guy other guy in line at the credit. That'll goes, do it. That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Her music is also very like it's deranged. What did I write? It's like horns going to the bathroom. It's just like <laughs> a melodic, just like <laughs> It's insane. And she's walking. She has a great introduction. She's walking with the severed head of, what is she? It's a Bavarian snowman, snowman yeah. from her Christmas decorations that she's going to show to Billy Peltzer, beautiful, beautiful Billy Peltzer, at his desk at the credit union. Wait, we didn't even get to talk about Billy Peltzer and how beautiful he is. Well, this will transition us into Billy. Perfect. 
Leave your fucking dog at home, though, right? Right? Can we? Oh, uh, yes. Leave your dog at home. I don't care how much personality he has or his ability to speak English, as apparently, or at least understand English, according to this movie, and how much it connects with Gizmo. Leave your goddamn dog at home. It just wants to sleep and also beg for you to come home. So, like... Yeah, everyone's home. Your mom's doing terrible job decorating gingerbread men. Leave yeah. the dog with her. Not to mention, like later, Barney goes with uh, Hoyt to the to the time machine convention or whatever the hell it yeah. is. Weird. Okay, so now don't now take your dog to work, dear everyone everywhere. Leave your dog at home. Don't get a bag for it. Don't have it on your lap. Just fucking have a kid. <laughs> Not to sound like Phyllis, have a kid. That's obviously what you want. <laughs> also like- And f- like make it drink coffee and it'll stay two years old forever. It'll stay that size. You can keep it on your lap. Who cares? <laughs> the kid? Fucking have a kid. Yeah, sure. Stun its growth and keep it on your lap. You want it? I mean, dogs, the, the worst thing about dogs is they're like four-year-old children forever. They're like the worst type of child forever. They need to be around you all the time. Fuck off. Leave me alone. My cat is upstairs and does not care if I starve to death unless I can't feed her tomorrow. That's the perfect relationship. And then honestly, she'll eat you eventually. Yeah, she'll be good for, what what do you think? Like a week and a half? Yeah, probably. She's little. She is little, but she eats. If you leave food, she will eat. Yeah, so you got to be careful. So if my festering corpse is out, and I don't know what happened to Tyler. Why is he not around? Why isn't he at least moving my corpse out of the Who way? Who do you think killed you? Jeez, come on. Oh, uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. No, I know I know. it's like, you know, challenging. You know, like, oh, my dog can't be alone. I'm like, well, unlike- Yes, it can. First of all, I probably can't. Secondly, it's like, you agree to this, usually. No one has a dog foisted on them by the government. You oh. chose this. Yeah. yeah. By the government. And although I will say one of the best things about dogs is they can be in sunlight and can get wet. It's preferable yeah. not to get them wet, but they can get wet without any detrimental yeah. circumstances. A little stinky sometimes. Yeah, a little stinky, but I mean, I can deal with that rather than suddenly having five dogs. I don't know about this going down the, uh, <laughs> the leave your dog at home route. I have a feeling this is going to be the most controversial segment of our podcast. No, I, I got into, I tried to keep it in my usual charming, you know, cantankerous self, but I could tell my voice was getting louder once I was <laughs> talking to a woman who wished that we could bring our dogs to work. And I... The bile was rising in my throat. I was so mad. And I, I consider myself a person who likes animals. But leave your fucking dog at home. Yeah. What's it going to do here at the office? Aside from distract everyone and bark and shit and piss everywhere. You know, I'm a person that's allergic to dogs, too. And so it's like, mm-hmm. and I'm sure I'd be allergic to mogwais. It's just, there's something wrong with me. I recognize that as a flaw in my physiology. And so if I come to your house. You're a bad like, person, you know, yeah. If I come yeah. to your house, you have a cat, and but that is like me coming into the, the cat's home. You bringing your cat or dog into the work is like, this is where I work. You know what I mean? Like, that's this is a problem, because now I have to either medicate myself more, which doesn't always work, or I have to leave. The good news is, I don't work in an office, so fuck, do whatever you want. Bring it into the office. That is great news. Bring your dog to Damon's house. Also, people don't recognize how shitty their dogs are. People are terrible judges at how 
much their dogs are pieces of shit. He's all right. Ah, he's great. He's friendly. He's the meanest dog you've ever met. And he's ugly as shit, too. <laughs> but you know who's not ugly as shit? See this transition? Billy Peltzer. He's got a lady's eyelashes. He's got perfect skin. He's a slim-waisted birdie. He's got that perfect, like, 80s, like, wavy hair. Ah, oh, he is a dream boat. The whole movie, even when blood is trickling down his forehead in the third act, cat sound. Even when he gets a shot in the arm with a, a small crossbow. You, you feel like <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. I can work around that. How? I don't need two arms. What size is that crossbow? Just as a side note here. And why is it being sold at Montgomery Ward? Maybe it's like a handheld. Maybe Do they make like handheld ones? Maybe that's what it is. I'm not familiar with the crossbow economy enough to answer that question at this time. Really? No, I know. I have the general demeanor and bad posture of someone who would have a lot of knowledge of crossbows, but I, in fact, do not. Uh, Although, (laughs) there's nothing else to say about Billy that's appropriate for the general audience. (laughs) I I just want to do things to his mouth. (laughs) To his mouth? And we'd have things to talk about. We'd, We'd have cartoons. I mean, he'd... Be more into like comic books than comic strips, but I mean, I you can, can smile and nod with You're the best of drawing them. techniques. There's a lot of that. Oh of yeah, cross hatching, chiaroscuro, yeah, pointillism, sure. Just your inking. Speaking of why, cute. why do I sound like that? Why do I sound like a secretary in a 1950s, no, like break. sexist 1950s movie? You know who else is pretty cute? Gizmo. Oh, no, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say Corey Feldman. I had dollars and donuts. Corey Feldman. Too He's young. a cute kid. He is a cute kid. Yeah. How do you feel about the character design of Gizmo in this movie specifically? Because like, he does get him improved in number two. So it's He gets a glow perfect. up in the second one. Yeah, he's a little rough looking in this one, especially because I watched the trailer to Gremlins 2 just to see what trailers look like for Gremlins 2. One of my favorite pastimes is watching trailers to movies I love. I was like, how did they market this thing? How did they market Hudson Hawk to the masses? Why did it fail? Oh, I see. Gizmo is like overwhelmingly cute. They like in the second one, they give him like eyelashes. Like he's gorgeous (laughs) in the second movie. This one, he looks... He looks all right. The vibe I get, I didn't check to see if this was the case, but I think this clicks with everything I saw is that there are two puppets. There is one that Billy can hold that is true Way life. more than that. But yes, there's many puppets. Yeah. Right. It felt like also they had to have the Muppet rule where every time he's holding something, there has to be a new puppet. But there's right. also like a large puppet. Yeah. For and anytime up. you saw like the zoomed in shot, you would see the large puppet for like more emotive things. He looks like an old man. He does. Yeah, there's a lot of wrinkles. In every shot, he looks like an old man. And it seems like they also have multiple puppets for, like, at least the the small small puppets, they have a, an expression. Here's the sad gizmo. Here's the scared gizmo. Here's the happy gizmo. Here's the stoned gizmo reading comic books with Billy in bed. Playing trumpet with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even tell that I was good. This is another, we already sort of alluded to this, but all the Mogwai look the same in this movie. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I'm just the guy at the party saying what everyone else is thinking. I just have the balls to say it. Please read my column on Breitbart. Face to face with this stuff in real life and you just don't think it's ever going to happen. You just came out and said it. Wow. DJ, I want to commend you as a white man for standing up to me, another white man, 
who was being racist towards a fictitious race of creatures. You know, I just think I think we all learned a little something here today. Mm-hmm. Thanks to you. Thanks to you're me. brave. You, I, really you know, I wouldn't describe it. You know, you're right. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't describe it as brave. You know what? I like bravery. Let's go back to that. <laughs> But they all look the same. And so sometimes it was hard to tell. Now that we've done that joke, everything I say sounds terrible. It's hard to tell who I was looking at in some of the shots. Like when he's playing the trumpet, I was like, oh, that one, that Mogwai seems nice. What he's he's not hanging out with his his mean old brothers. And I was like, oh, that's Gizmo. That's why they they spat vomit on him. I think I only knew that because they were like, they're not the others are not like Gizmo. And then they panned. It's not exactly like the best communicated yeah. communication by the the camera shots because the other mogwai the the would eventually become gremlins are all like gathered around stripe and they're like playing a game or something and then gizmo's like in the same shot the thing yeah yeah and then Gizmo's like in the same shot by the christmas tree like playing trumpet next to the dog and the dog is kind of like mm-hmm. it's not communicated that well but that's the only reason i was like oh that's gizmo because he's yeah cute. and honestly between that and the every time they say the word mogwai he repeats and goes mogwai mogwai very cute. And I then, woof woof. Yeah, he just gets gets little phrases, and then honestly, he's very that, cute though. Even though he looks yeah. kind of rough, he yeah. is very cute. And Howie Mandel infuses him like with a, a overwhelming amount of personality. And I was surprised that I was never annoyed by it, even though it could you could argue that it was saccharine and a little cloying. Yeah, I was charmed by it all the time. What do you think about the? I think I think they bye, did a good job. Billy. We talk about this by at the end. In the second movie, they deliberately made the gremlins more distinct and the mogwai when they're the initial mogwai before they turn into gremlins, they make them more like distinct. And this one they do have they're more distinct than I remember but they're still not like look you couldn't be like oh that's the goofy one, that's the blah blah blah. And then that's the bad boy. Have, that's the mama's boy. That's the one that sings real high. That's the one that's a good mm-hmm, dancer. That's the cute one. Yeah. It's like BTS, honestly. And that's Joey Fatone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did you feel about the grim when they become gremlins, when they're adult gremlins, I guess? How do you <laughs> feel about When they've pupated the chrysalis or pupa. Yeah, I feel like they were also kind of generic again. Aside from Stripe, of course, who has the sweet-ass mohawk. They all literally just look the same, like same green skin tone, like the same sort of model. Like it felt like they were just stamping them out. Uruk High style and Orthanc just like pump them out. We got gremlins to release. On, only until you get to uh, what's it? Dooley's Tavern yeah. when they're in drag and doing puppet shows. Do they really start to like take on this other personality? I also am looking at it through this lens of like Gremlins 2, where I feel like that was a deliberate attempt to give them all personalities, whereas this felt like one stands for all of them. They're all the same. And we only gave this one a mohawk so you could recognize him at the end of the movie when he's throwing shade at Montgomery Ward. Throwing shade and saw blades. They're basically just all gags, right? Like like the one is dressed in drag because... He's pretending to be, or it's pretending to be Stripe's date. And there's like the exhibitionist gremlin that like flashes open a trench coat at Kate. They all have, it's not, it's less an indicator of their personalities and more just little gags that they just keep doing. And there's also the the jazz gremlin who they like start playing jazz music overhead and he's got like a little 
sunglasses and does he have like a, a hat or something? He has like a, a he has a fedora on and he has like a cigarette. I couldn't figure out what the, it was. This a reference I was not understanding because yeah, he's sitting there almost like a film noir movie where he's just yeah. sitting there and there's like jazzy music playing, and then another gremlin comes up with two like puppets on his hand, and then he's shot in the face by the first gremlin. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I guess that scene. I mean, I'm a little torn on that scene because it does remind me of the sort of madcap energy a little bit that we see more of in in the sequel. But it also, for me, appears at a weird late point in the movie where we've seen them being genuine menaces to the town. And now all of a sudden, like I feel like it turns on a dime where there was like a playfulness to their menacing nature, but now it's just like all jokes suddenly in this scene that plays on a little long. And it's very, I don't know what the word is, like it's very campy and silly. Like it's deliberately silly. And they have little costumes. They're all wearing, they're all smoking cigarettes. They're all getting drunk. They're spinning. One does like a, a flash dance routine, like re- deliberately referencing flash dance. There's the jazzy one. There's the flasher. There's the one in drag. And it's all, it's, it goes on for a while. And I'm like, what is this now? It felt like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like whiplash, like keep going back and forth yeah. between the two tones. It's kind of weird. There's the scene where they, this cracked me up when they, are caroling because we had seen like human carolers <laughs> earlier. It's really funny because they've got their little, he's got one's got little earmuffs on and they're just like, they don't, <laughs> they're just kind of, I don't remember if they're singing in tune or not, or if they're just saying, la, they're la, singing their own theme song. That's right. La, 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 la. Where did they get these earmuffs that are their size suddenly? And that's yeah. the first like inkling. Oh, now we're going to be silly suddenly. But that one got me, but that was before the bar. I think when it was like, okay, we're going to lean into this and I'm, it it went on a little long too. I think was part of it was like because her serving them, <laughs> she's pouring them drinks <laughs> and like lighting their cigarettes and stuff. And like that is pretty funny. Like I could see her. She's like tr- just trying not to get attacked, and right. they seem cool Keep with her. Happy. Yeah, does whatever they want. But it like went on maybe five minutes too long. To where we're just like, what are we? What is happening here? Yeah, it just felt like the movie had sort of stalled out and was like, we're just going to stay on this for a minute. And then they get to, that sort of continues on when they go to the movie theater and they're deciding to watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And they're all, again, in like character. And it's sort of leaning into that Looney Tunes nature of the gremlins. We even see one like walk by who's like looking dopey. And then the next gremlin who walks by down the aisle has like a giant Looney Tunes style mallet that he's going to hit the next gremlin with and the gremlin who's in the sea is just watching them go by. And I mean, that ties into Chuck Jones who, you know, appears at the beginning of the movie. It just feels like it, it, it's like two halves that never get like. Yeah. Fused together properly. They're just like, we have this and now we're going to have this. Like Joe Dante just got bored with the menacing, the mayhem, the genuine mayhem. And it's just like, we're just going to have comic mayhem. Now. When I don't know if like, there's something, if there's like a scene missing where like, Gizmo watches like Looney Tunes with his brothers or whatever. And we can see that they've been watching TV. So you can kind of like extrapolate some of that, but the movie doesn't explicitly be like, oh, this is where they got all this. This is a reflection of society and how entertainment rotted our brains. You're like, maybe that's still what they're saying. And I do probably believe that's in there, but it's like, it's not a a direct correlation. So you kind of have to imply that, which kind of lessens the impact of that message, I think a little bit. 
do you like that Mike Ehrman Trout, Jonathan Banks is in this movie? That was fun. Oh yeah, I did notice, I did write that, that Better Call Saul guy is in this. I did also like, because I always appreciate a good, well-placed asshole. And as they're leaving to go check on call, the sheriff says, I'll drive. And Jonathan Banks says, you always get to drive. And the old guy says, well, I'm the sheriff, asshole. I like it when people call each other assholes. It's a lost art. But yeah, he's one of those actors that, I mean, his his break came late. And so you find him, he pops up in a lot of stuff, I feel like. Yeah. Well, I recognize him. Even when Breaking Bad started, I'm like, I feel like I know that guy. I remember looking him up at that time mm-hmm. and then being like, oh, he looks way different than he did. But I recognize him then too, just because like with hair, he has a completely different look to him. Yeah. Um, it's apparently an airplane. You know that? I don't think I did know that. There you Ooh. have it. I want to He's compliment. also in the movie version of Flipper. So oh, good. take that to the bank. <laughs> I want to compliment the movie on the scene where Stripe goes to the to the Y into the pool and basically <laughs> in so much water that basically he's getting to multiply hundreds and hundreds of gremlins and the pool turns like this glowing green and there's like steam and there's like the sound that Stripe is making is like <laughs> Like it's not he's yeah. not like in pain, he's kinda like into it, but like <laughs> and then you start to hear other gremlin voices as they guess I guess they have to get to skip the pod part if they're I don't know why. I think you just become a gremlin. gremlin. This is like aliens in that it's hard to actually piece together the the life cycle of a gremlin. Yeah. So it goes from face hugger and then it plants this other thing in you, and that becomes the alien. But what yeah. lays the face hugger? And aliens was like, oh, I just remembered there's a queen alien a queen. and she's laying all the <laughs> These eggs. Thank you for asking. I just realized I didn't answer that. In this one, yeah. So if you're a mogwai and you get preggers, you give birth to other mogwais. But if you're a gremlin, they just go straight to gremlin phase. Yeah. And in fact, there's a weird, I mean, I thought it was in this one, but it's. I think it's in gremlins too, where you, they do a zoom in on the back of a gremlin that's like getting wet. And you can see these little baby gremlins in the little Bubbles, oh, bubbles that grow out of their back and it's like gross it's very gross there's it's very gross and when stripe dies it's very gross he's very like melting i was trying i'm still trying to figure out how that would i mean i'm sure there must be some way to build a skeleton that will dissolve when you want it to and the practical effects in this are pretty i mean the gremlins still look a little bit rough but Practical effects are pretty great. In fact, that scene, the pool scene, I was thinking about like if someone tried to remake Gremlins today, they would have a shot in the pool showing me all the Gremlins spawning and respawning. But just I think a more effective shot is like slowly zooming out and just seeing this entire swimming pool boiling and steam coming off of it. And then like, you know, creating all these crazy colors everywhere. It's pretty effective. And then we see Billy like run out of the YMCA and you see the shadows of like all these gremlins sort of hopping around the YMCA. Effective. Just as effective. Probably cost five bucks. When they're (laughs) we're in the movie theater. So like they're all the gremlins except for Stripe are watching Snow White White. and Dwarfs. And Kate and Billy are able to like go behind the screen. But then at one point uh, the screen goes blank so that they see the shadows that Billy and Kate are, are. And then you just see the other side. So it's just the screen and you just see like these gremlins coming towards the screen. And it's obviously like a cartoon basically. Yeah. But it's really cool. And then they start clawing through the screen. I'm like, oh, that's that's a really good effect. Yeah. It's very effective. Yeah. 
You know, actually, I didn't look up the IMDb. It does seem weird now that I'm thinking about it, because I have a note here. Uh, Very good, Gerald, when the bank president says that to Judge Reinhold, because it's, it's so over the top, like, very good, Gerald. We never see Jer- Judge Reinhold at any point. It feels like that would be a deleted scene or something. Yeah, that, there was a couple of mentions of that in the in the trivia, and I don't know how true it is. Again, I, I don't stand by anything that's on there. Your Honor. <laughs> Your Honor. <laughs> But apparently they were supposed to have like slightly bigger roles. I don't know like if they were going to have like a death scene or an escape scene or a fight or anything, but like they were supposed to play a bigger role. Just roles. at least get them humiliated nice and good. Yeah. I think I was fine with how it ended up. It does. It is a little weird just because we know who. That it's the first Ryan. time I've ever thought of it, but it just seems yeah. weird that he's established at the beginning. In fact, we see the guy who's like, that'll do it. He's the one who gets his arm caught in the mailbox. Ah, yeah, that's right. We sort of see every, even rockin' Ricky Rialto, the local DJ who has Indiana Jones-themed advertisements all over town. A little log rolling from Steven Spielberg, but I'll allow it. It's not like he did a 1941-themed advertisement or an always-themed advertisement, just Indiana Jones. We hear him like on the radio. Like I feel like they they do a good job of like sort of revisiting even these unnamed yeah. characters, but we don't we don't follow up with Judge Reinhold. So it just felt like yeah, this movie's uh, feeling a little long in the tooth. Cut the Judge Reinhold part. That's my yeah. Joe Dante impression. It's pretty good. Sounds exactly. Yeah, he's like one day I'm going to make a movie called Small Soldiers. It's about these little toys that come to life. Wow, that's his big dream. Small soldiers. That's going to be. Good. Damon will see in the theater because there was nothing else to do when you're 16 years old. So I realized that Gizmo speaks Chinese because the old man comes to pick him up and they're just like having this little conversation. I don't know if he is actually speaking Chinese in that moment because I do not speak Chinese or Cantonese or whatever dialect they're speaking. But right. it is very cute. Just the like, of course, of course. That's like, <laughs> like, like, like who yeah. knows how long? I just thought that was charming. It is very cute when the old man, who's sort of been gruff and like stone-faced the entire time, when he actually sees Gizmo, he's very sweet and like doting upon him. And and of course, Gizmo responds in kind. It's very, very cute. And Orientalism aside of the whole thing, Tyler did want me to mention that he appreciates that someone comes and takes the Mogwai away. It's like, you know what? You are not allowed to handle this anymore. You have proven over the past... 82 hours that you cannot manage this. So I'm just going to take him back because we never agreed to anything. There are no contracts that have been signed. You're and full of money. Goodbye. Yeah. You want to go to the verdict? <laughs> yeah. Oh, your inner child is not an idiot. I hope you got my head scratching in there. You're not an idiot. This is a pretty good movie. I still side on the second one a little bit, but this is a fun movie. I got a few laughs out of me, a few thrills. Who might say? I do like watching an old bitch fly out of a window. I feel like I can say that for Mrs. Teagle. I appreciate I appreciated that this movie slanders people who buy, you know, buy up property in small towns just because they can, and slanders yuppies at the same time. Fuck them both, even though we don't see Judge Reinhold means meet some grizzly end himself. We can I assume the gremlins sought out that asshole as well. <laughs> 
So I like this movie as sort of like a beginner's entry into horror. Of course, it kept both of us at bay. We were like, oh, no, I couldn't. I couldn't possibly, both of us said. But uh, it's an enjoyable movie. Some problematic aspects framing it, but not terrible, but a little icky. But otherwise, a fun, a fun romp from Joe Dante. What? Who? Who says? What? I was like possessed by Gene Shalit right at the end. A fun romp from director Joe Dante. I give this two noses up. You know, newcomer screenwriter Chris Columbus <laughs> really laid the ground. Knocked it out of the park. I agree. Guillermo Child is not an idiot, and I saw this too early. If I had maybe seen it a little bit later. Maybe it wouldn't have creeped me out because I, I it is definitely playing into the things that people enjoy about campy horror where it's like, yes, there's death and violence, but it's also kind of like making light of it in a way that it can make it sort of enjoyable in a way where you're just like, yeah, she's dead, but we're all having a good time. <laughs> I was just going to mention there's this weird moment with Mrs. Deagle where she sees the gremlins outside her door and she says... This always sticks with me. What are they? They're here for me. I'm not ready. Like she knows there's a hell and she knows she's going to go to it. And one day demons will come to fetch. There's this, it's just this weird, like metaphysical moment where she recognizes that she knows she's a bad person and that she will go to hell, but she's going to have, she's going to make as much money while she's alive on this earth. Also, during that news report at the end, we find out that she she's the widow of a guy who like swindled people out of their stock. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. There's bad stuff all around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people in this country just don't want to work like Mrs. Deagle. That's what it is. I don't want to. <laughs> Kim Kardashian rich. was right. People don't want to marry rich and have their husband die like <laughs> it used to be. I thought this was pretty fun. I thought you know it's not a perfect movie. There's there's problems. There are some. I feel like it takes a minute to get going. Like the first third of it is, you know, the first act is probably the roughest, but also you get a lot of cute moments with Gizmo. And if it had just been a movie of Billy and Gizmo hanging out, I probably also would have enjoyed that. But uh, I enjoyed Wasn't that a Dr. Pepper campaign a few years back. <laughs> probably. It was very enjoyable. The, the gremlins are, they're, they're little rascals, little murdering rascals. I forgot to mention this, and I don't know if I mentioned this in our Gremlins 2 episode, but I had a dream when I was a kid that they were making a third Gremlins movie, and Gizmo got gremlinized, <gasps> no. and Billy had to find a cure for gremlinization. And I think that's a pretty solid premise that's a, for a third movie. That's a pretty good setup, <laughs> man. You should write a spec script. Steven Spielberg, I wrote to you when I was a kid, and I'll write to you again with a script, and I'm going to meet you in an elevator. I'm going to have flop sweat. I'm going to be talking too fast about Gremlins 3. And Steven Spielberg's going to be like, that's how it's done, kid. And then he has you (laughs) murdered by his security guards. Kill him, Greg, and get that script. Who are Gremlins? Wow, twist. I like that he's putting him to work still. You know, he made a movie, but he's still keeping him around, giving him stuff to do. Gremlins 2 was like 35 years ago or something. So, did you think while you were watching this movie that when they're watching Pod People on, they're watching the Pod People movie, the original movie from the 50s, that to them watching Pod People is us watching Gremlins now? Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to face that fucking fact? 
No, I don't. All movies are just signposts towards death. All movies from before I was born were all made the same year, 1980, and they all just sort of came out that same year, and they came up with colorization that year, like in August. And that's it. Everything that happened before I was born is all collapsed like an accordion, and everything that happened after I was born is a long stretch that everyone's been enjoying and thinks is the greatest period of human civilization. And it'll never end. <laughs> I'm going to die one day. All right. What do you think, everybody? Email us, yourinnerchildisanidiot at gmail.com. You can text us or leave us a voicemail, 615-576-0525. I want to thank my friend Russ Weaver for the use of his song, Top of Two, for ad music. And we want to thank our patrons. Thanks for supporting us. We want to thank our patrons, including Just Cuz. Lindsay Halleck. Scalphosaurus. Jackson has an unhealthy obsession with Damon. James Taylor. David Mort. Dramatically plays hot dog. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Josh Frigo. His Honor the Mayor. The Illusion Van Gromgen. Heather Tuggle. Larissa Maestro. Shit on the cartouche. Lindsay Nell. Zachary Hartley. Jeremy T. Powlin. Caroline Amberson. Dr. Uh, Malcolm's uh, heaving uh, gremlin. <laughs> Beth Sermont. T. Smith. Tommy Boy is my favorite movie. I, I didn't catch that one. Probably going to have to retake that one, too. Tommy Boy in my favorite movie. Tommy Boy and your favorite movie? Is that <laughs> yeah, that's Tommy Boy and another movie. My favorite movie. The Hands of Fate. Particle Man. Travis Vance. The Zesty. Supreme ruler of this podcast. Demons Australian Exit. Karen Curd. Jonathan Day. And Bill Haynes, thank you all very much. Thank you, everyone. Joe, I'm support like them. Patreon.com slash your child's an idiot. Bye, Billy. Bye, Billy. Bye, woof, woof. Bye.